The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this Monday morning. China's GDP rises 4.9% in the third quarter. As strong growth in retail sales and industrial production support the economy's rebound. The number, though, has slightly missed expectations. Stimulus hopes send U.S. futures higher as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sets a deadline for Tuesday, adding she is optimistic that a relief bill can be passed before the election. Europe fights a second wave. Italy announces fresh measures to curb the pandemic whilst a curfew takes effect in France. But a Berlin court overturns nighttime restrictions. And the UK's Michael Gove says the door is still, quote, ajar to resume trade talks with the EU after the Prime Minister Boris Johnson tells the country to prepare for a no-deal Brexit. And the group gets the green light for the Hong Kong IPO portion of its dual listing, edging the Alibaba-owned company closer to a blockbuster listing. So, Steve and I have come over to the wall. We have indeed. To continue our comedy. Can anyone work out what we're here to talk about? Uh, There is some (laughs) subtle signage. (laughs) Right. The graphics department have done their job properly. They they spelt it right anyway. (laughs) Good. Uh, So, China's economic recovery from the pandemic has strengthened in the third quarter, with GDP growing 4.9%. That was just shy of expectations. Let me wander over to the big numbers to help you uh, graphically see exactly what that number looks like. Retail sales in September coming in at the quickest pace since December 2019, rising 3.3%. And this is particularly important because whilst there has been acknowledgement that the Chinese factories can go back to work very quickly, there's been a question over consumer confidence and this retail sales number perhaps represents uh, a gradual return back to pre-pandemic retail sales numbers. We're still not quite there yet, but maybe a stabilization of confidence. Chinese industrial production also continuing its strong momentum, expanding 6.9% last month. And the key here is really as we throw forward to the fourth quarter, is the trend for acceleration in some of these key numbers picking up pace? And as we come into the fourth quarter, we're going to have a conversation about just how resilient these figures look and what the state of the Chinese economy looks like right now. Yeah, there's got to be a degree of churlishness about uh, complaining that you only came in at 4.9 compared with 5.2 when we've got a cataclysm on 2Q and 3Q figures going in large parts uh, of the developed world as well. I mean, some of the figures are quite extraordinary, especially in, as you say, retail uh, and auto sales as well. But my big question is, at what price? At what price for the consumer, for the country, 
for the municipalities for that price in terms of debt. And will that price ever really matter as well? We'll come to our guests in the list in a few moments' time. Safe to say, a mild disappointment on the markets. And one thing that I want to draw your attention to, not only on the Chinese market reaction to this data, but also to the fact that the European and US markets actually also had quite calm moves net-net uh, on the week. And I'll come to that a little bit later on the show. So we've got the Shanghai Composite, three-tenths of 1% easier, as indeed is Shenzhen as well. The CSI 300, border measured there, down three-tenths as well. Uh, the dollar just gaining a decimal, 0.07 of 1% uh, versus the Chinese currency. Okay, broader Chinese uh, markets, uh, then Asian markets as well. Let's have a look. So look, actually, some of the Asian markets are celebrating the good data today with the Nikkei uh, rallying a very respectable 1.2% at the start of trading. The Kospi down in South Korea, seven-tenths of 1% higher, as indeed is the Hong Kong market, eight-tenths of 1% higher, and the ASX 200 enjoying the fact that there is uh, a substantial economic recovery going on in China, albeit a decimal below expectations, uh, trading 1.1% higher, Jeffrey. Let's bring in uh, Shuang Ding, Chief Economist for Greater China and North Asia. He's with us from Standard Chartered this morning. Good morning to you. Let me ask you, initially, the number on GDP is not far off the expectation. And yet, as Steve showed us, the uh, greater China markets are weaker right now. Why the disappointment? If we look at the number, the headline GDP for the third quarter disappointed the market. But if we look at the breakdown, uh, the industrial production, retail sales beat the market expectation by a big margin. So the big picture is uh, China's recovery is still on track. And more specifically, uh, the rebound, which uh, initially uh, has been uh, driven by investment, by the supply side, uh, has now been uh, extended to the demand side and also the consumption. So uh, if we look at uh, uh, consumption, both in terms of goods, the retail sales uh, rebounded to the positive territory and the consumption of service, which perhaps is more important indicator because of the social distancing measures has uh, kept the service sector quite depressed, uh, also uh, see uh, an improvement. So if uh, the, uh, the coronavirus remains under control, most likely the fourth quarter, we may see a continuation of the recovery. But on the other hand, I would say uh, we may have seen the sharpest part of the V-shaped rebound uh, as uh, the economic activity uh, approaching the potential level of, of the economy. Uh, I, I think the market uh, perhaps uh, pay a, a lot of attention on the headline, but I, I would point out that uh, the breakdown, the detailed uh, number also matter a lot. Which is fascinating because, uh, as I was suggesting at the wall here, we really need to look at the last month or so to get a sense of what the trend looks like through the fourth quarter. And you seem to be suggesting that maybe the pace of growth will moderate into the quarter in spite of the actions taken by the PBOC to try and ease credit conditions. Uh, yes, indeed. I would say uh, the momentum is more important. The months on months, I think, is more timely compared with the quarterly number. Uh, by looking at the more recent data, I, I would say uh, the growth may continue to accelerate, but the pace of acceleration will not be as dramatic as in the second quarter and the third quarter. So for the year as a whole, currently we are 
uh, I expect uh, growth of slightly above 2%. That would still make China the only major economy in the world that would have uh, positive GDP growth in 2020. So I asked the question at the wall, at what cost as well? And you know far better than I do, sir, that China, in common with every other country in the world, has taken on a vast amount more debt uh, in order to negate the worst problems created by the pandemic as well. Do you have any concern about those record debt levels uh, we're seeing in China now? Yes, indeed. Like uh, other countries, I think the debt to GDP ratio will increase. And that is also pointed out by the IMF recently. Uh, for China, uh, because the credit growth uh, outpaced the GDP, nominal GDP growth, uh, I would expect China's debt to GDP ratio to rise by 20 percentage point uh, this year. Uh, of course, that, that perhaps is uh, a proper response uh, to an unprecedented uh, coronavirus outbreak. But as soon as the, I think the economy start to get back to normal, what we have seen uh, recently is uh, the government, the financial regulator in particular, increasingly concerned about the financial risks, increasing about uh, concern about the rising leverage ratio. That is why in terms of policy, uh, I would expect uh, the, the policy to exit from the emergency mode uh, for monetary policy for, uh, in particular, uh, uh, the, the central bank, I, I would say the easing cycle has ended. Uh, I do, do not expect any uh, rate cut uh, for the rest of the year, uh, although I think uh, the rate hiking is uh, still quite premature. And more importantly, for the credit growth, uh, if we look at the total social financing growth, has been above 13%. That is way above the nominal GDP growth. Going forward, the central bank may guide the credit growth toward the nominal GDP growth in order to stabilize the leverage ratio. Before I ask you my next question, I will pains to point out to our viewers, you're an economist, not a strategist or an equity player as well. Uh, but we talked about the mild disappointment on the Chinese mainland markets. Actually, they've had a stunning rally compared with many indices globally this year. Um, local currency terms up 9.4% year-to-date the mainland markets. Uh, and of course, the yuan has put on 4% versus the dollar as well. So a very strong performance coming into this. Any concerns that ebullience in the stock market might have ramifications for the broader economy, sir? Uh, I would say uh, so far, the, the rally of the stock market appears to be uh, reflective of the fundamental. Uh, both in terms of uh, growth outperformance, but also in terms of external position China uh, uh, the current account surplus improved, and also China saw uh, quite significant capital inflow uh, through the bond and equity uh, connect and uh, the inclusion of China market in the major uh, bond index. So I, I would say uh, as long as uh, I think China's uh, growth momentum can continue, uh, the current um, valuation appears to be supported by the fundamental. Of course, we see some risks here. Uh, one uh, is, uh, I think, the rolling wave of uh, coronavirus. Uh, it's a relief to see that uh, the, the case didn't uh, rebound after China's golden week. Uh, but externally, uh, I think the situation is still very fluid, uh, and China cannot thrive alone when the rest of the world still suffer from the coronavirus and a weak demand. And externally, the U.S.-China tension the U.S. presidential elections still a very 
big uncertainty. I think that would cause volatility in the market going forward. Shuang uh, Deng, thank you so much for joining us. Chief Economist, Greater China in North Asia at Standard Chartered. And uh, for more on the economy and those numbers, you can check out the story, of course, on CNBC.com. Right, uh, we haven't talked about what's going on stateside yet, so let's do that. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has given the White House 48 hours. You know, there's confrontations left, right and centre, isn't there? There's Gove Barnier over the weekend on this side Atlantic. Now there's Pelosi Mnuchin again. Uh, let's go for it then. So Nancy Pelosi has given the White House 48 hours ending Tuesday to strike a deal on the next coronavirus relief package. The Speaker of the House, of course, uh, said she is optimistic a deal can be pushed through before Election Day. The Democrats are sticking to their $2.2 trillion relief plan as opposed to the $1.8 trillion proposal put forward by the White House last week or the targeted measures backed by the Republican-controlled Senate. The president has once again blamed the Democrats for refusing to accept the White House-backed stimulus plan but said negotiations may yet still uh, yield results. We're talking about it. I think Nancy Pelosi maybe is coming along. We'll find out. We want to do it. I want to do it at a bigger number than she wants. That doesn't mean all the Republicans agree with me, but I think they will in the end. If she would go along, I think they would too. What stimulus? Right, let's take a look at some of these markets, including the US futures. Um, they are looking positive at the start of trading here as well. Uh, and this is the point I kind of made when I was talking about China earlier on, but I'm going to make it a little bit more vociferously throughout the show. And that is the markets are becalmed. Maybe temporary, maybe temporary. It always is temporary, isn't it? Because there's always a period of volatility at some stage. But look at these markets actually from the tail end of last week. And what's more useful for you is looking at the week to date moves. The Dow week to date, 0.07% higher. The S&P was up 0.19 of a percent. The Nasdaq did have a rally up one point, uh, big point, 0.8% as well. But actually very calm, broader markets as well. In terms of the individual sectors as well, you'll find this interesting, I hope, is that real estate was down 2.3% as the biggest declining sector. Uh, industrials were up 1.1% as the biggest uh, inclining structure. So actually, for me, that doesn't seem too big a spread, a dispersion, 3.4% from the highest to the worst performing sector on the week as well. And also oil on the week as well, up only 0.7 of 1% uh, as opposed to Brent, which was down about up 0.2 of 1%. Even gold was barely moving on Friday, down 0.13 of 1%. I did start to find some moves, Jeffrey. You'll like these ones as well. Uh, if you want to find some volatility in commodities, I found some good spreads for you. Uh, feeder cap cattle versus lean hogs. <laughs> Do you care? So, uh, feeder cattle versus hogs last week. I'm sure someone must trade the hog cattle spread. Uh, hogs were up 4%, feeder cattle, cattle down 6.5%. But do you trade the, the, the milk cattle spread sometimes? Uh, often. <laughs> just, just check your compliance manual. I think, I think they let you do that in legal. Uh, so milk was up 6% last week, as opposed to feeder cattle down 65 I, I was looking for some volatility for you. You, know, you don't get these stats anywhere else. Because <laughs> you don't want them. <laughs> Let's have a look at treasuries as well and see the mighty yield on the 10-year now is 0.759, pretty much the middle of the range that we saw last week. Dollar crosses very quickly for you. I'll just give you those. Well, I mentioned earlier uh, the yuan move year to date versus the Dow. It's put on about 4% versus the greenback as well. But really, considering the huge stories we're seeing, the Chinese GDP data, zilch move on the dollar yuan as well. The enormous ramifications of Brexit or hard Brexit, whatever you want to call it, 129.20 and the euro dollar. The, we talked about the euro, 117, breaking out above 120 so many times earlier this year. And it hasn't happened yet, despite the terminal decline of the dollar, according to some.
fascinating question is, are we in a holding pattern because of the election, because of the vaccine, or because of the valuations? Because I note again this morning that as I looked at the market commentaries, there's an awful lot of he and haw over whether the technology stocks at these valuations are still priced for perfection or whether there's still more opportunity to go for in these stocks at the moment. How many times in the last couple of weeks have we seen people going, well, we're now looking at those value stocks again and believing a bit of cyclicality is going to come back in again and revalue those to the upside. We hear a lot of it. Yeah, and it hasn't always worked very well, has it? it? That's the trouble. Coming up, uh, Philips strikes an upbeat tone in its latest earnings and revises its future targets upwards. We will speak with CEO Franz van Houten in just a few moments. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to Scorebox. We had that big Chinese data. We've also got some big corporate numbers out of Europe as well. So let me just go through some of these because I've got a CEO waiting in the wings and you don't need me to go through too much of the Philips third quarter numbers. But they have given new financial targets for 2021 to 2025 period as well. Third quarter sales came in at 5 billion euros with 10% comparable sales growth. That is very important. 10% comparable sales growth as well. Third quarter income from continuing operations increased to 341 million euros compared with the third quarter a year ago of 211 million euros. The adjusted EBITDA as well. Again, EBITDA, I beg your pardon, margin increased to 15.4% of sales compared with 12.4% of sales in the third quarter 2019. I could go on forever, but I'm not going to because I want to speak to Franz Van Houten, who is the CEO of Philips and who joins us now. Franz, a very good morning to you, sir. Jeff, you, I, Karen, everyone. We've spoken for a long time about your aspirations and the desire to turn your company into a a focus of home health, a digital company, medical devices as well, and and a few other things beside. Franz, just looking at these third quarter figures, it seems that the company is in the right place at the right time. Would you agree or, or is there something we should be more concerned about going forward? Good morning, sir. Hi, good morning. Well, I do agree. Uh, over the last nine years, we have transformed Philips from an industrial holding to a focused health technology company uh, with massive divestitures on the one hand and strong investments in organic growth in health technology, uh, coupled with a few bolt-on acquisitions. And it all turns out to work very well. Of course, the world needs more productive health technology. Um, find new ways to connect patients to doctors, uh, overcome the pandemic, uh, get to precision medicine. And Philips is very well placed for the coming years to benefit from that. That's also the reason why we have increased our growth guidance to five to six percent, also expecting to outgrow the market. And uh, we also anticipate that annually we can improve profitability by a 60 to 80 basis points on average every year till 2025. And then we would be in what we call the high teens profitability segment, uh, which I think would get us there right up with the uh, with the rest of the peer group. 
for Franz, I, I'm genuinely pleased for you because we see many CEOs who promise us the new world and actually deliver uh, something looking like the old world for us. So that's great. Why do you think the market hasn't appreciated uh, the fact that Philips has got this focus on digitalization, home health, and, and heading into a lot of the zeitgeist at the moment? Because your shares here today are still down 5%. I think it's a matter of time um, as uh, the medtech investors gain confidence in the transformation story of Philips and we deliver uh, time and again. So I'm confident that, uh, you know, that will be the valuation will follow the execution of our strategy. So far, our execution track record is strong. Again, I'm pleased that also this quarter we have delivered to plan. We said we would return to growth. And so we have. Uh, that means also year to date, Philips is back in gross territory. Uh, I think it's a matter of consistent execution uh, to get everybody into the stock. Um, I, I would also say that for the coming years, we continue to be a company that can drive its own improvement. Uh, with a strong imperative on operational excellence, we can grow the core of the company around a minimally invasive therapy, precision diagnosis, connected care and, and personal health. Um, and we have a, a strong balance sheet, so we are well positioned for the future. Um, Franz, good to see you. Can, can I just pick up, I remember as we talked about the second quarter, one of the issues was the impact of COVID delaying or postponing elective procedures, and that had had some impact on uh, various businesses. Can you tell us what the status of that is now and what concerns you may have about some of the uptick we're seeing in cases in Europe and elsewhere? For sure. Um, first half of the year, Philips was also hard hit. We had a 4% decline. And, and we said we would expect a gradual recovery of elective procedures, and that is happening. Um, we still see some hospitals pushing out uh, installation of new equipment. Therefore, the diagnosis and treatment segment still had a modest decline of around 3%, while connected care grew very strongly and also consumer demand for personal hygiene, personal care and oral care came in very strong at 6% growth. And that altogether brings Philips to a 10% growth rate. I expect the recovery of elective procedures to further continue, even though, of course, the pandemic still rages and that's terrible. But hospitals are becoming better capable to segregate, let's say, infectious disease from uh, the, the normal elective procedures that have to go on, people with cancer, people with cardiovascular disease. Uh, this also has led us to stick to our plan and say for the second half year, we will expect stronger growth and therefore the full year Philips will deliver low single digit growth versus 2019 and a profitability that will be about in line with, with last year. And then looking ahead, as we discussed, uh, we expect to gradually improve growth to the 5 to 6% bracket. So Philips is well positioned to benefit from trends in uh, applying cloud technology, big data, connected care, um, getting to precision health, precision diagnosis and treatment. So we are at the right spot at the right time, as, as, as was inferred. Can I just get your thoughts on some of the potential macro drags on performance? We seem to be in a bit of a mess on this Brexit trade deal. Uh, and we have, what, two weeks until a US election. Um, how are you looking at event risk at the moment on the geopolitical side? 
Yeah, the world is an uncertain place. I can only agree with you. Uh, for me, uh, high on the list are the, the, the political tensions between continents, uh, in particular uh, uh, United States and China. Um, we will uh, have to see how that goes. Uh, we are adapting our supply chain to be more resilient in the face of uh, geopolitical tensions and, 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 and trade duties. So we, we have factories in China, in Europe, in the United States, so that we can cater for the various regions, uh, also more regionally. Um, I think there could be some uh, turmoil with elections and, uh, and, and the trade deal. But, you know, the macro trend is that people need better health care. Societies are wrestling with the affordability of health care. Our innovations are catered to drive up outcomes, health outcomes, health productivity and a better patient and staff experience. So while we are focused on our purpose, uh, then we should not get distracted by geopolitics. Um, I'd also like to take the opportunity to mention that we have recently stepped up our environmental sustainability and governance uh, policies where uh, we will uh, be carbon neutral, where we will stick to the one and a half degree scenario. We, we were last week, in fact, uh, announced by the Wall Street Journal uh, to be the second most sustainably managed company in the world. And we are very proud of that. So I think by f staying focused on your own purpose and course of action, uh, you know, you can drive your results no matter what happens in the world. Just a quick final word, if I can, Franz, as well, on the oscillation of orders for issues such as ventilators. We saw the U.S. order 43,000, then cut back aggressively. Uh, you've already addressed this to some degree as well. Are you concerned that the lack of medium-term strategy from global governments, including U.S., rather than having short-termism, is creating oscillation in your numbers? Well, I think as, as governments grapple with how to deal with the pandemic, um, it's clear that more capacity for intensive care beds is, is needed. Um, certainly also the developing markets uh, have not yet equipped well. And there's dialogues ongoing with African nations and, and others to see, you know, how we can help them. Uh, but of course, we cannot build a strategy only on acute uh, care. And this is why Philips is so focused on, on diagnosis, minimally invasive therapies for, for cancer, for cardiovascular care, for neuro. Uh, and these are all growth drivers for the future. And we also have seen through the pandemic that the demand for telehealth uh, is rising rapidly. Uh, and we expect a structural shift in how care is being delivered between doctors and patients uh, in a safe way. And Philips is right in the middle of all those exciting trends. Franz, good to see you this morning. Thanks so much for joining Absolutely. us. And we'll catch up soon, I know. Franz Van Houten, the CEO of Philips. Um, let's just have a dip into the uh, Julius Baer third quarter earnings here. So the group says strong performance for the first half of 2020, continuing into the third quarter of this year. Assets under management standing at uh, $413 billion at the end of uh, September. CT1 ratio, 14.3 strong. Net new money inflows uh, rose considerably in the third quarter, uh, resulting in an annualised growth rate of close to 4% for the first nine months of the year. Uh, the group goes on to say uh, that they will take a non-cash charge of 177 
million euros uh, in relation to Kairos. This is the Italian fund management business that they decided not to sell oh, 12, 18 months ago. They took a charge back then. Um, they still, it seems, uh, need to do a little bit more work here on this business as they try and stop um, uh, outflow from that Italian business. Um, the encouraging sign beyond that is actually that they've also reduced the cost income ratio uh, 66.1 through September as against 71.1% for the full year of 2019. So generally, uh, things seem to look positive uh, around Julius Baer on these numbers. Average of the European (coughs) price to book is about 0.6, 0.7. You have to pay 1.3 for uh, Julius Baer. So... uh Trader, hefty old European premium. I think it's a, I mean, it comes back to the point that you were making over at the wall here that so much of the market at the moment is priced perfection. Yeah. We are somewhat becalmed while the market looks for some direction on some of these bigger risk trends, as Franz van Houten was, was pointing out. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.